Hello and welcome, dear listener, to Swinging Through Spider-Man, or whatever we end up calling this, because I found out the other day there's another podcast called Swinging Through Spider-Man, but I'm just going to ignore that for now. This is a limited series podcast where we're taking a closer look at all the big screen adaptations of our favourite wall crawler, the astonishing, the sensational, the superior Spider-Man. I'm Tom Percival, an editor and journalist for Unilad, BBC film critic, and a lifelong Spider-Man fan. Joining me on this journey through the Spider-Verse is my co-host, the Hoffman to my J. Jonah Jameson, the esteemed Cameron Frew. Hello, Cameron. Hello, Tom. How are you this week? Uh, I'm I'm excellent, especially after watching uh, Spider-Man again. I was going to ask, how did, how did it hold up? Let's start there. Yes. Yes, in a word. Yes, this is radio, Cameron. You, we need more than just the just a yes. I'm sorry, I was, right. I was going for like monosymbolic effect at first. Sam Raimi's Spider-Man is simply so stunningly good. It rendered me speechless. Uh, it rendered me to one-word answers. Uh, no, no, no. Listen, it does absolutely hold up in my eyes. Gave me the exact same sense of glee and wonder, I suppose, that I had when I was watching it as a child. Like it just transports me back to that time, and I actually do think it goes beyond the level of childhood bias i still think it is a genuinely excellent film beyond that sort of nostalgia aspect i'm on exactly the same page uh i rewatch i've rewatched it twice actually over lockdown and i it was it, i showed it to my girlfriend who'd never seen it before and you know when you've got that worrying question in the back of your mind the fear of oh shit is this actually good or am i so have, my, have I got my rose-tinted glasses glasses on and am I so, so blinded by nostalgia that I think this is a good film, but it's going to be really embarrassing. Like when I insisted that Superman 2 was a good film and then we watched <laughs> it and it turned out to be dog shite. Um, but no, it, it really, really stands up. I've got a couple of notes for us to talk about here. I think we're going to divide this up into five big sections. Okay. Uh, so we're going to discuss the origin, yep. Spider-Man himself... The Green Goblin. It's good, that one. No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the extended cast, and then um, Sam Raimi himself, the director. So let's start with the origin. Um, on a school trip to ESU to see the largest electron microscope on the eastern seaboard, quite literally the dullest field trip I think I've ever heard of, um, ESU gets to see these genetically engineered super spiders one of them escapes from a Perspex box. They really need to work on the security. It bites Peter Parker and it gives him his superpowers. Now, I want to ask, start by asking, how do you think Spider-Man's origin compares with other superheroes? It's the most ridiculous, probably. The most ridiculous. It's because other superhero origins are... Right, I'm not... They're not grounded in reality in any sort of way. Um, Superman comes from our planet and Earth's atmosphere... He's stronger in the Earth's atmosphere. I believe, yep. I do believe that as a, a thing. If an alien crash landed on our planet, um, our atmosphere could potentially make them a much stronger being. The Brightburn theory, as I believe it's known in yes. circles these days. Iron Man, Batman, obviously, they don't actually have specific superpowers, but uh, they're rich and geniuses. <laughs> and Captain America is made into a superhero by a genetically engineered super serum, which uh, isn't too far out of the question, really. Yeah, he's on steroids. Yeah, essentially. But Spider-Man is literally impossible. Um, there's no way that you could ever, ever, ever be bitten by a spider and suffer anything, or well, and and be enhanced in in the level that Peter Parker is. <laughs> However, the fact 
that you can watch Spider-Man and not think about that in the slightest is why it works. See, because I never sit and think, oh, fucking bullshit. That would never happen because that's <laughs> that's that. It's not the spirit of it, and it's that it doesn't feel cynical in that sort of way. That is trying to make it believable. It's it's just fun, and it's just yeah. like it's exactly what I want to see. Yeah. See, I think it's interesting that if you look at in the comics at least, Spider-Man's origin is tied to the atom and radioactivity. You know, it's a radioactive spider that bites him and gives him his powers. In this, because it was the early two thousands, well, what's in vogue now? It's not radiation, it's genetic engineering. So they've developed, and I wrote down the quote from the scientist, 13 genetically altered super spiders. Um, and my, one of my favourite, because it is so early 2000 moments during the origin, he gets bitten uh, by the blue and red spider, which is a lovely touch. And only Sam Raimi, who does not give a shit for your realism or anything like that, he's like the spider's blue and red. So, like someone, some would say that's on the nose. I would disagree. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's, it's fun and camp. And again, we'll get into this when we talk about Sam Raimi a little bit later. But I think it's playful. Like There's something quite funny about it. And that leads into what I'm saying when the spider bites Peter Parker. For whatever reason, they've got a pre-rendered graphic in the background that adds human DNA to it. And it goes, new species, and it lists his superpowers, which is absolutely incredible. Yeah. Um, again, some would say it's on the nose that we are literally walked through exactly what is going to happen to him before it actually happens to him. And it even it lists all of the, as you say, it lists all of the powers. Uh, apart from Better Sight doesn't list that but no a, a super can't have a superhero wearing glasses can you um <laughs> that's a joke <laughs> Poor Daredevil. Daredevil fans are livid um yeah i love i love him getting bitten and it's it's amazing and it, I, you know what that's one of the moments of cgi and it that actually does hold up quite well um the the spider coming all the way down as he's, as he's taking the photo of mj and then obviously the 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 animation of the spider biting into the flesh, which is literally my worst nightmare, as I am a chronic arachnophobe. So that entire school trip to see genetically engineered spiders is I just I I would simply not go on that school trip. I would stay you, home. You wouldn't be there. No. no so not. you'd miss out on Harry Osborne's classic pickup line. It's the, here it's the biggest electron microscope on the eastern seaboard. Stolen from his <laughs> friend Peter after cynically judging it. It's like, what? Um, does he not say, he's like, oh, why, why would you even think I would want to know that? Or something. Yeah. He says something Such super a dick. mean. <laughs> like, <laughs> like the, everyone is a dick to Peter Parker except Norman Osborn, basically, in those yeah. first 15 minutes. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I, yeah, he's um, he becomes, and I'm sure that's a thread we'll get onto at some point later on, he he instantly fills a sort of father hole, fa- yeah. father shaped hole in Peter's life on those steps of that um, place museum. I mean, he's been mean right. to death, but that line, "I hear you're some," you know, "I hear you're a bit of a scientist." I'm something of a scientist myself. I really like Norman in those moments. I think he just comes across really human. Like I know he's being a bit of a knob to Harry, but again, he just comes across like someone who has an active interest in Peter. Yeah, I mean, and, and even, I don't know whose side you are actually supposed to fall on in those opening introductory scenes to Harry and, and Norman, because I do naturally fall more on Norman's side, because Harry just comes across as a bit of a petulant 
uh, angsty teenager not wanting to be associated with his dad which is like such a common thing all, all teenagers go through and Norman just seems like he wants to wants his son to appreciate what he has um, yeah. which which he clearly doesn't even though he's getting driven to work in a Bentley and um, <laughs> yeah I, I just, Cameron it's a rules as Norman oh, makes clear oh I'm sorry I'm sorry factual error no I, I yeah I love I love Norman those those opening scenes what I do think is, like, I'm trying to get away from saying I find this really interesting, I find this really interesting, but it's just a lot in that intro. One thing that I really enjoy is, and I don't want to compare it too much to Amazing Spider-Man because we have to talk about that film in its entirety mm-hmm. soon, but I love how quick it gets to, to making him Spider-Man. There's no dicking about. Like, I don't need to see him skateboarding for half an hour. It starts on the field trip. Within 10 minutes, he's been bitten, and within... 20 minutes we're exploring those powers there's no it, it's a real testament to the speed and pace of that script like there's no dicking about with what's happening to me or getting to know peter before it they just do it all on the field trip yeah i think that probably even stems from sam raimi's known to be a passion have a passion for comics and a fan of spider-man that's what got him the job in the first place so yeah. I, I i do i do think that is definitely tied in to have someone who is so passionate about having Spider-Man and directing Spider-Man and getting to play with Spider-Man on the big screen pretty much for the well for the first time, um, I'm not surprised that he didn't, as you said, dick about with the script and uh, spend spend ages in a way that Amazing Spider-Man does with just trying to establish Peter Parker as a character first. Sam Raimi does it in ten minutes. Like we mm. we can tell he's a dweeb. We can tell he's socially awkward. We can tell he fancies MJ. Um, we can tell he has a sort of a, a best friend relationship with Harry, but one that is destined to be warring in the future. And we see him get bitten. And we yep. go through all the, the the cycle of the ramifications of being bitten for his body in that very, not campy, but schlocky X-ray horror <laughs> sequence in his bedroom which somehow only manifests when he gets home. Yeah, um, yeah I, 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 I much, much prefer the origin in Spider-Man compared to Amazing Spider-Man. Well, I, I completely agree. I just think it, the script economy is there because doesn't uh, like we keep going over it. You don't. You're not waiting. Like I'm, I've come to see a Spider-Man film. I've paid my nine pounds to get into the cinema. I don't want to wait. I don't want to see the Peter Parker movie, unfortunately. I want Spider-Man with his spider powers swinging from buildings as quick as possible. And I think the way we get there is, is perfect. Um, which leads me on to the next thing about the origin and the big thing, which happens to every Spider-Man. Uncle Ben has to die. Or in the case of Tom Holland, Iron Man has to die. But that's another, that's another conversation. What do we think of um, Uncle Ben's death? And can we agree that Cliff Robertson is easily the best on-screen Uncle Ben. You know what, he is. He shouldn't be, though. And I'll tell you, Martin Sheen should be the best Uncle Ben because Martin Sheen is... um, A better actor than Cliff Robertson. No disrespect to to that from Spider-Man, but um, Martin Sheen is a better actor. Um, He's a more renowned actor. He's a more probably recognisable face to most people. And Amazing Spider-Man completely wastes him, but again, we're not going to just dive into hating Amazing Spider-Man just yet. Yeah, uh, Cliff Robertson. Cliff. Ro- yeah, yeah. He he's just so warm and believable that he isn't hamming up at all. He does have some like sort of old classic 
uh, American parent lines to, to like, chew on. Um, hey, hi, hey, Michelangelo, don't you forget we're painting the kitchen tonight. Yep, yeah, he's like, oh, don't uh, don't start without me. Don't start with me. And it's like, oh, that <laughs> sort of stuff. Um, but that just makes him... He, he needs to be that sort of sweet, present, uh, sweet presence in Peter Parker's life for the emotional hit to come yeah. in, a, what, 10 minutes later after he's introduced? Uh, I, I tell you what... That un- uncle, the Uncle Ben in these films reminds me so much of my granddad. There's more than a passing resemblance, first of all, mm-hmm. but it's just like you say that sweet. That, there's a there's a, such a warmth to the character, and it does mean that when they're in the car, and he's saying to Peter, "You know, I went through the same thing, son," and it's platitudes, and you totally get. I challenge anyone who was a teenager watching those scenes not to think that not to be on Peter's side initially. When it's like you don't know what I'm going through, you know, like have because he doesn't, but he does. And um, when he gives the iconic line, "With great power comes great responsibility," and Peter just completely ignores it and goes and goes to the wrestling ring, I, I, I well up now, especially yeah, when you know find what's it, coming. Yeah, I find it really tough to watch because it it's one of those kind of moments that makes you want to scream at the screen, like you are wasting this time, yeah. you are wasting all of this time. He is being the best dad to you, even though he's mm. obviously he's his uncle, but he is essentially his dad at this point in his life. Um, yeah, it's just... It, I would love to know really how I felt about that initial... When, with Great Power Comes Great Responsibility speech when I first watched it when I was younger and if I was on Peter's side in the car thinking, oh, yeah, you t- you tell Uncle Ben off. Like, he, he doesn't know. He doesn't know he's you're a superhero. Man. Yeah. Um, because yeah, I, I I also well up now. I, I find it um, very very emotional to watch, especially as you say, because you know what is coming down the pipe. Um, I suppose I suppose the, the the real telling moment of that we touched on Norman earlier when he says to Peter, you know, he's a semi father figure in Peter's life, but there's a hint with that I'm something of a scientist myself of. I I can use you. There's something in like my nurturing your gift can potentially benefit me and Norman again you're a scientist I'm a scientist it's a reflection on the self as opposed to Uncle Ben who is just telling him this is this really important life lesson you know like in life sometimes you're going to be in a you're going to be in a position where you have power and you need to be responsible in those moments mm-hmm. it's such a human thing to say to someone especially after we you know he, that's right after he's beat, beaten up uh, Flash Thompson in yep. one of my favourite action scenes in the film because of the slow mo and it's mm-hmm. the the dodging, the spidey sense of the fly for, flying through the air, and so there's a real ca- but again, there's just a real catharsis to it because you've seen Peter be abused and picked on, and he gets all he gets this moment all of a sudden to be the big man, you know, and beat up Flash, and he, I, I I just think you go on that journey with Peter, and Uncle Ben's speech pulls the rug from under you. Yeah, uh, I funny enough that that fight, it goes through all of the motions that play a much... The the themes of that fight, that specific fight with Flash Thompson, um, are very, very prevalent in Spider-Man 3. Um, because in Spider-Man 3, when he gets the black suit, obviously he learns the full extent of his powers and what he's capable of, and he does overuse them when he fights with Sandman. And that whole fight, he realises the powers he has, realises the fun he can have with these powers, and then he overreaches because he launches Flash halfway down the corridor, and then you see all the eyes... Down, down 
down from all the fellow high school students. Obviously, Harry says that was amazing, but yeah. even uh, MJ looks kind of almost scared by it. And Flash's friend says, "Wow, Peter, you really are a freak." Because yeah. like that 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 was ultimately too far. Um, and yeah, just at, as part of his origin, I think it's a really interesting way to go first to have him essentially turn only a slight snippet of being not quite the hero he should be Hmm. um which i think anyone would go through as soon as you get those sort of powers because you would feel omnipotent when you have those sort of powers in that environment yeah when you can literally punch your old bully across the the, you know the corridor maybe the room like who wouldn't revel in that i think like you said earlier it all ties into raimi's love of those initial 32 issues of spider-man when peter was a little rough around the edges he he hadn't learned quite he hadn't quite internalized the moral of with great power comes great responsibility at that point in the comics i think that's what he's showing us there that steve ditko-esque roughness that peter originally had um we would of course if we're going to talk about uncle ben we've touched on the fact he died i want to talk about i mean there's only so little time so we have to first of all mention bone saw <laughs> what how do we feel about bone saw and the shockingly homophobic language from our hero. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, obviously, I it's just not aged well. Not, uh, yeah, but it hasn't aged well. But you need to go in, not like looking at it from that perspective, because it is it using that sort of language and using the justification of oh, it's not coming from a bad place isn't a good reason because we shouldn't just we just shouldn't use that type of language at all ultimately. But looking at it in the spirit it is originally intended, which is just to poke fun at him simply and have like the sort of Spider Man quips hmm. that Spider Man requires after he's when he's not Peter Parker. That whole fighting exchange, the the whole um cage match sequence is great fun. Like it's great and obviously it has Bruce Campbell in his first cameo of the Spider Man. Yep. It's just fun it's good fun. And it's interesting seeing how Spider-Man, Peter Parker, again starts to use his powers. I wouldn't want to go into a cage match with someone who could sling webs up to the top of them. Who could cage. stick to? Who can literally yeah. stick to the walls? Yeah. And of course, that that leads us on to um, the burglar, who's not a burglar in this film. He's an opportunistic thief who robs the um, wrestling ring. Like, have I, I, I really like that stuff. I think it's really dark. I'd completely forgotten how quickly Peter goes from he's with Uncle Ben. And he literally just stands up and he walks down an alley. And then we get some woeful CGI. I mean, obviously, it was good at the time. But it's some absolutely Obviously, you cannot see that in the podcast. I did motion the horrendous Yankee claiming that he does up the wall. Like like someone threw him at the wall like a gel toy. And he just starts to evolve (laughs) up the wall. But I I think that scene in the warehouse when he confronts Carradine... I don't. Is he Carradine in the in the film? I think he is. I think he's credited as mm-hmm. something Carradine. Uh, anyway, it's not important. Um, th- I think that scene is really quite frightening. It reminds me of Batman Begins. You know, this. You know the scene on the docks. Yeah. I I I I've got real real Batman Begins vibes from that. The because he's spinning down behind him and he's going back up and it's he's playing games with him. It's like a real prey and predator thing going on. Yeah, and and obviously the fact that he um he dies. Yeah, he he is pushed off, probably quite a horrible death, um, and obviously the, Peter sees the cops shine the light on him, um, and he realizes the full extent of all the things 
all the events across the duration of that day that have led to that moment. He's he is not responsible for Uncle Ben's death, but he could have prevented it. And the fact he has just enabled the man to die in front of him. Mm. Uh, yeah, it's it's very dark. Uh, and uh, to be fair, the, the other Spider-Man movies don't really go to that level of darkness associated with Peter. Um, but I've always I've always loved the the moment when um, the robber runs out and he lets him past, like just lets him past, and uh, the guy, the wrestling organizer, who refused to pay up, um, says, "Now he's got away with my money." He's like, I, "I missed the part where that that's my problem." Which is obviously what he says to him. Like I, I love that whole interaction. I know you're not supposed to be on Peter's side at that moment, but again, it's the catharsisism, isn't it? It's the real life way you'd if you got superpowers tomorrow, you would be like, now, like maybe I'm a selfish person. Maybe that's what I'm exposing here. But I, I think it would take a very strong person not to be immediately like, well, I, I don't understand why that's my problem. Like, yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, the, your, my inclination wouldn't be to immediately use them for the good of society. No, I'd especially like, right, after I'm... you've just been shafted for not getting your money back, like the and money it, you were owed. And it really pisses me off because it's three minutes in the ring and you get three grand. You only lasted two, so it's a hundred dollars. Well, surely it's two grand. Yeah, that 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 would be the way the rates would work out. <laughs> uh, um, but I don't think uh, this underground esque wrestling operation obeys the laws of rates. <laughs> but, yeah, um, yeah, the freelance rates at scumbagwrestling.com are dreadful. Yeah. Um, also, I mean, three grand for three minutes. It's quite a lot of money. Yeah, but Bones... You, I mean, you saw what happened to that luchador guy. Bonesaw wasn't messing about, was he? Yeah, but surely he could just like run around the ring and you would still earn $3,000. 3, it depend- I mean, you just what if Bonesaw got you though? Mm. Anyway, <laughs> that's, 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 a, that's a quandary for my dreams tonight. That will be me running from Bonesaw. I think talking about that darkness leads us quite elegantly onto the next big topic: Tobey Maguire. His Peter Parker. His Spider-Man. Um, I after our our chat uh, in the initial in the, the introductory episode, I noticed a lot more what you were saying about him being very very dweeby. Like super awkward, like almost like almost unbelievably awkward at times. Like, and yeah. I've, I've never quite noticed that before. Um, how did you feel watching him? Yeah, I mean, like like I said in the in the introductory episode, I I I think he's the best Peter Parker because mm. he is the most uncomfortably dweeby, therefore accurately representing. The Peter Parker I have in my head when I think of the character, um, yeah, he, he is very socially awkward. Um, you can tell that there's someone, and there you can tell he already has his Spider-Man, desperate to break out, like he wants to be able to come out and just comfortably chat to MJ in the back, the back garden, but he can't. He can't. He doesn't know how to really properly converse with MJ, even in, in the any conversation with Norman. He's he's got very big. I'm visiting my parents' house, uh, my ki- my friend's parents' house. Energy, like he's not, mm. he's not, he doesn't. I don't feel like he's speaking particularly no. as an ad- an adult at any point. Um, yeah, I just I, I think 
he is the most phenomenally geeky of them all in a way that isn't dressed up to be cool and I know being geeky is actually cool really when you think about it people who are knowledgeable in science and maths and all those sort of things are very very powerful people um, but, but it, they don't dress it up to be as if he's a genius they just dress him up to be a nerd and I think that's the way it should be yeah but you're, again we're living in 2020 when nerds have invented Facebook and are billionaires in 2002 nerds weren't cool and you know, like, it's why Tom Holland's Spider-Man. Again, like, the more I think about it, the more he suffers from that Andrew Garfieldism of, well, I don't really understand why this guy gets picked on. Like, it, yeah. it's just, he's a little too cool, you know. I, I totally get why, pa- uh, why Peter is ostracized. Because, like you say, he's very interested in the largest electron microscope on the eastern seaboard um you know and even his best friend is like oh my god peter shut up yeah you know everyone what? is aware that he is uh the outcast yeah uh he is the one who gets bullied by everyone or at least doesn't really isn't particularly popular in any sort of way but what i noticed this time is as well like it's real it's quite a bit like he has harry is his best friend but Harry isn't his best friend through choice. Harry is best friends with him because Harry is picked on for being rich. He has the opposite what? problem as Peter. Harry I'm w- sorry, who gets picked on for being rich? Like, who gets that level of... Who's like, this, this fucking guy with all the money? Like, uh, why wouldn't anyone be wanting to be his friend? Because he it, has one of the most powerful dads in New York City. Clearly, it, the head of Oscorp. It leads to one of the best lines in the film. Oh, what are you going to do about it? Well, his father will fire your father. Which I absolutely love, because it's really erudite for a bully to be like, I've got a zinger, I've got a zinger. Yeah, and obviously, uh, that, that line just doesn't make sense. Nope, because <laughs> his father could fire your father. What yeah. do you do then? Um, yeah, I mean, I think, as I say, I, I, I really, really... Uh, I was thinking about what you said when I was watching it this time, and I found the character of Peter a lot more likeable because of it. Like... There's a, there's a real joy when he's Spider-Man. And if we can go back to Bonesaw for a moment, as you say, forgetting the content of what Peter says, the escapism of being Spider-Man in that moment when he says, you know, like, oh, uh, your husband gave it to me. Forget the context of the line. It's the first time we've seen Peter be his real self. Do you know what yeah. I mean? Yeah, and he's, getting to, yeah, he's br- breaking out that shell because he's wearing a mask. Yeah. And because he is in a situation where clearly mental intimidation is all he really has when the crowd is completely on Bonesaw's side as they hold up cardboard chainsaws <laughs> like, uh, screaming and obviously right before we move on the outrageously um nasty groupies that he has before he enters the ring that Bonesaw is going to rip all of your limbs off one by one like what no <laughs> like, forget, forget even the forget even the groupies Bruce Campbell, what's your name, kid? The Human Spider. Human what, Spider? Really? That sucks. <laughs> <laughs> the Amazing Spider-Man! Like, no one has any respect for Peter in this film at all, except Uncle Ben and Aunt May, and MJ to a, some extent. Yeah. I, I mean, and Harry does sometimes, but yeah, no, uh, definitely, especially in that environment, there's no, nobody respects Peter until he wins. Let's talk a little bit more about Spider-Man as opposed mm-hmm. to Peter Parker. I I like this version of Spider-Man, but I was very aware while watching it this time, my favourite 
bit of Spider-Man in this film is probably the montage. Like, I think that's the most Spider-Man he is. Like, when I say Spider-Man, I mean the most like the comic book character he is. You know, when we see... The, the montage when he's finally got the suit and it's like all the newspaper reports and yeah, all that Yeah, and he's leaving notes for people and like, I, I don't know what, like, that felt like I was watch. I was reading a comic book of Spider-Man. I was just, there were loads of panels. You know what I mean? Like, there's a... His Spider-Man, to me, there's an awkwardness to him. He never... Like, Parker is awkward, right? And we, we've, we've hammered that home. And the Spider-Man is supposed to be an escape from that awkwardness. And to an extent he is. But even then, there's just this real sort of like oh he's a little cringe and i know that spider-man would be a bit cringe because he is this nerd under this mask but i don't i don't know i don't find him funny i don't find him witty i just find him an extension of awkward peter parker if you know what i mean yeah i think that is probably down to the fact that toby mcguire isn't a particularly gifted comic actor or he doesn't really have that sort of in him in his repertoire as as an actor as opposed to the likes of tom holland and especially Andrew Garfield, who are just far more naturals at that at being the sort of cheeky, off the cuff patter responder yeah. um, that Spider Man as a superhero is, whereas uh, Tobey Maguire Spider Man, and I suppose this is good because it does tie more closely into his performance as Peter, does feel like a slowly evolving, um, ha- to have a slowly evolving level of confidence, um, and his one liners as much as as much as they're funny, aren't particularly... They're not funny for the right reasons, no. let's say. The, the, there's, there's one line that really stands out to me. When the only thing the only thing you're out of, Gobby, is your mind. And it's <laughs> so stiff. And I'm like, oh, that could have been a real good line. But you just you just not, just not landed it. Like, no. And, and it's funny because I think that there's a real... Like, for all we say that Tobey Maguire isn't a good comedic actor... The physical comedy's there. When he swings into the wall and when he when he throws the stuff over Flash. Like, I don't know, like that stuff really, really works for me. It's just when he's got the mask on, he's just he's just a goon. I'm sorry. Like just like I, I but anyway, the, the quips that he's saying do feel very cheesy and they do feel like they could have been lifted out like the old Spider Man comics. And I don't know if that is intentional that because Andrew Garfield's quips are definitely a more modern have a more modern touch to the writing of them hmm. whereas Tobey Maguire's quips quotation marks like you said the gobby line or when he webs J. Jonah Jameson's mouth shut when he's hanging in front of Green Goblin and say, hey, the, uh, the, the adult's are... talking now yeah, yeah something like, like that yeah I'm like mm. <laughs> no it's not, it's not it's not particularly good um, but I mean it's like you say, his physical capabilities as Spider-Man are very, very good, and I believe him as when he's fighting and when he's swinging and when he's when he's fighting. Yeah, I'd agree with you there. And if we are focusing on him as Spider-Man, his physicality is something that I really like. I like that Spider-Man, who's Toby. Uh, sorry, Andrew Garfield Spider-Man. He's very, very lanky, and he's very he's a gymnast body. And I think the same follows through for um, Tom Holland. But Tobey Maguire's Spider-Man has a re- like he feels strong, so when he's punching people, it feels like there's a real physicality to it. And I, like, did you know that they weren't the studio when Sam Raimi first said, "Hey, I've watched the Cider House Rules, and I think Tobey Maguire will be perfect for Peter Parker." And they were like, "Get to fuck." 
<laughs> like, and he, Toby Maguire came in, bulked up, and it took them, like them seeing him. You know, like he looks like when he's taking his shirt off. It took them seeing him like that to be, oh, this guy could be that he has the physicality to play Spider-Man. Yeah, I like, I, I really, I do, I do like that about his Peter Parker. And again, I like. I really enjoy the fight scenes in this. That last battle against the Green Goblin in the graveyard is more brutal than anything Tom Holland's gone through. Uh, I think the only thing comparable to it is um, Andrew Garfield fighting the lizard. That felt really vicious and visceral. Yeah. The same thing's true of this one. I think that Tobey Maguire's Spider-Man gets the shit beat out of him the most of any of the big, of the live-action Spider-Man, at least. Yeah, and... When the film was being rated by the BBFC um, and the initial outcry that it was a 12, and as we know, um, it was the first ever 12A movie in the UK because of that specific outcry from parents who couldn't take their kids to see Spider-Man, um, the BBFC initially responded saying, defending its decision to make it a 12 instead of a PG, and they said it could have been a 15. Um, yeah. And I do believe that that rating would be tied to the final fight in the movie of Green Goblin because there's a lot of blood, and especially when the glider uh, flies into Norman's gut um, and blood is literally dripping out of his mouth all over the glider. Yep. Um, yeah, yeah, you don't, we don't see that sort of level of violence in any Spider-Man movies. Now, I, I mean, especially in the MCU, the MCU isn't just about that level of um, no. of graphic violence. As much as there is some blood, it's not. It's never focusing on the blood. There's blood spilled, but it's never the the focus of the shots whereas in that last shot of norman that's what everyone's looking at everyone is looking at his mouth clearly spilling blood <laughs> up his throat because that gliders went straight through his lungs and he can't like breathe and that's absolutely horrible to think about yeah uh, but tell- I, I love that last fight don't tell harry <laughs> yeah yeah uh, which leads us very eloquently on to our next big point. And I feel we're jumping over a bit here. We're jumping all around a bit here, which I'm enjoying. It's more conversational than uh, I intended, but I do like it. First of all, it is actually Willem Dafoe's birthday on the day we're recording this. So it's only right... Hey, happy birthday, Willem. ...that we move on to Willem Dafoe and the Green Goblin. And I want to get something out of the way first. The costume and the mask. Is it a problem for you? Especially no. coming back to it, what are we, 18 years late? Fucking hell, 18 years later. It's a little bit Power Rangers-esque. Mm. Um, it doesn't look expensive. <laughs> it does. <laughs> that, car, that suit took Oscorp millions of dollars of R&D to develop. <laughs> like, it generally looks like you could walk into uh, uh, wherever, uh, wherever, like B&M or, or Tesco and pick it up in the Halloween aisle. Like, it, uh, it looks made of wh- whatever plastic, f- horrible material it is. Yeah, it doesn't look, so doesn't look expensive. You, this, is, this leads me on to my favourite piece of Spider-Man trivia. So, IMDB, of course, a, a valued resource for film journalists across the world, right? But the trivia can be edited by fucking anyone, right? Yes. Which leads to such nuggets as this, which I had, I was looking, I had to, had to bring this up. Willem Dafoe's own face bears an uncanny resemblance to the original Green Goblin mask from the comics, <laughs> designed almost 40 years before he was cast in the role. And I read that, I was like... <laughs> but look, but it, it does lead me on to a really important point. 
Um, I'm with you. I think the costume is a little hokey, but I think that's entirely what Sam Raimi's going for. He, as we said before, with the blue and red spider, he's playing up the campness of the character. He's very much a Silver Age. Uh, he's a fan of Silver Age comics, and he's he's focusing on that era and it's it's really apparent in the green goblin's costume because it's gr- bright green but willem defoe is scarier without the mask i think we can, oh, yeah. i think that's he is scary can... see the whole sequences with the mirror when he's talking yeah. to himself in the mirror is amazing yeah. um any sequence where like you said where he has where he has the mask off and he's in his mansion his ma- massive massive house um and battling with his inner Green Goblin. That's the best Green Goblin stuff in the movie, apart from the single line when at the <laughs> World Unity Festival, <laughs> which is apparently a thing, um, when he boots uh, Peter Parker away. It says, impressive! <laughs> puts him away. Uh, which was literally my favourite line as a child, going to see that movie. Like, I, I guffawed every time I watched that, and I'd had, I used to have like, I'd say probably 12 inch tall Spider Man, Spider Man, and a Green Goblin. Uh, honestly, the amount of times I used to just reenact that line in my head. Um, See, I'm completely with you. My favorite thing from the Unity Festival is when they're all looking at, like, bearing in mind within the context of the film, a, a multi-million dollar glider has been stolen and flight suit. And the board of Oscorp are very aware of this fact, and they think that it's uh, one of their rivals who've stolen it. And they're at this cheap-ass Thanksgiving-esque parade. And they look and they see this cackling loon on a My- hoverboard flying towards them. And Must Harry be something Osborne- new this year. <laughs> exactly. I think they've got... And I love it because Willem Dafoe is having the time of his life and he plays evil so well. And he throws that grenade and it's, out, am I? And falls oh. eyes off. Right, and again, if we're talking about the brutality of the movie, it turns them to skeletons. Why does <laughs> they, it even they are that? they are wiped out? There's no doubt that, they, uh, like, yeah, overkill to say. Why the least. doesn't he ever use that on Spider-Man? Not to be, you know, not not to be that guy, but why? Maybe only he had just... those. Maybe only had those two, or that one. <laughs> uh, that, that was his Powerball. I was like, uh, I'm using this. It's my like all out. Uh, what it makes statement. It's not enough to kill them. Have to turn them to literal ash. But into skeletons first, and then yeah. to ash. Because skeletons that's first, then ash. And that's also when he sees MJ. And he goes, "Hello, my pretty." Yeah. <laughs> like, he is like that again. Again, there's. I don't want to talk, concentrate too much on the wider, the, the wider Spider Verse. But the, I've had a real, real appreciation for Willem Dafoe's performance in this because it, it. I mean. It's so hammy, you could serve it on iceberg lettuce and give it to someone for dinner, like <laughs> as a ham salad. But it's incredible. Like, it's he re- he's he's different from um, Doc Ock and he's different from Venom and he's different from Sandman because he's in love with the stuff he's doing. He relishes in hurting people, and it it comes across funny. Like we're laughing about it now because it's absurd that this man is dressed as a goblin. But when you think about it. It's bloody horrible. Like, he attacks Aunt May and makes her finish a prayer about delivering us from evil. Mm-hmm. And attacking Aunt May does nothing but hurt Peter. Like, and it's really, really insidious. Like, it's, it goes beyond anything that... Like, Doc Ock kidnaps Aunt May, but she's just a bystander. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. There's a real, real, like, nasty streak at the heart of Norman Osborn that I don't really think we've had in any other Spider-Man villain since no because he uh, the 
the demon of Green Goblin inside Norman Osborn is, like the word you use, insidious, is absolutely apt. Whereas all the other villains that Spider-Man has faced throughout the movies, um, the only one I can think of is probably Venom in yeah, Spider-Man I was gonna 3. Say, because he, he is literally just like, what he wants to kill Spider-Man mm-hmm. um, in the most brutal way possible. Um, but like you said, he is... A monster in spider and Sam Raimi Spider Man. Like he tries also when he's holding MJ and the cable car of the kids, he just drops them both. Yeah. <laughs> the sadistic <laughs> choice. Yeah. Um the fact so I was I was reading up on Willem Dafoe's um role in the production of Spider Man. So apparently he very much lobbied for this role. Oh really? Um he he really wanted to play this role. Um a number of other actors were uh, approached for this. Um, Nicholas Cage turned it down. Really, that surprises me because he's he. I mean, like he's wanted to be in every comic book movie ever. Yep, and Jim Carrey turned down Norman Osborn. Ooh, was that off the back of his experience as Riddler? I I would imagine so. Yeah, was he afraid? I mean, Tommy- that, the, Tommy Lee Jones was going to burst in and be like, I cannot sanction your buffoonery. <laughs> um, I think a Jim Carrey at Green Goblin would, would probably work because of Jim Carrey can go to pretty dark places, but I, I, I'm glad we got Willem Dafoe because, well, honestly, as a child, that performance has stayed with me and anytime I see Willem Dafoe in anything, I'm like more guaranteed to watch it because I'm yeah. like, ah, oh, Green Goblin. Well, Green it, Goblin. It, it's why I'm a Willem Dafoe fan. Like, I, I, watched the, I re-watched The Lighthouse the other day and he is the Green Goblin to me. Like, you know, he's he. It's unfortunate for him that he's a, a absolutely fantastic actor who's you know got some real weighty roles on it under his belt. But to me, he's always going to be the Green Goblin. Like, and I, yeah. if I ever met him, I'd ask him to do the Green Goblin voice for me because I love it so much. For the way the Green Goblin comes to be, if that you could slot Spider Man two thousand two into the MCU now and just change that serum yeah. to the Captain America serum or a version of the, the Captain America serum and it would fit in completely. Yeah, um, okay. I mean, we've already seen that with Abomination, haven't we? That there are yeah. attempts to recreate the super soldier serum. So yeah, no, I'd, I'd, I'd really like that. I mean, also, that whole sequence is absolutely amazing, by the way. That sequence really holds up to me when yeah. Willem Dafoe is basically having a fit in the massive gas chamber. Um, back to formula. Um, throws it's, the guy through the glass, which would kill him upon impact. Never mind the other landing. Again, <laughs> he throws him through it, and just to, just to show you how dedicated Willem Dafoe is, a topless Willem Dafoe leaps up into like a tr- like a like a vampire bat pose and goes. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> He's very clearly having fun with that. He he knows exactly what film he's in. Yeah, it does. And especially illustrated no better than in the funniest scene in the movie involving Green Goblin, the burning building. Which also is no, the most... <laughs> what was his plan? Genuinely, like, what was his... What if Spider-Man hadn't turned up to that fire? <laughs> and he's just sitting there, like, like testing his scream quietly to himself, like, oh wait, no, not, not enough. <laughs> no, not enough yet. And then he finally... Finally, Spider-Man comes in, turns round with the hood. <laughs> what would he have done if that was just a firefighter? Like, a firefighter would shit their pants. <laughs> it's made even better when you remember that 
not two minutes after that, he's supposed to be at Harry and Peter's for Thanksgiving. So he's, <laughs> so he's just said, cutting it close, <laughs> cutting it close. I'm, I'm gonna give it ten more minutes and then I'm out of here. <laughs> but as funny and literally preposterous as that whole idea is, that scene sequence does bring my favorite Spider-Man moment in the movie, which is dodging. Yeah. The dodging blades. The blades, um, which is obviously referenced later in Spider-Man Three. That 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 was the I I specifically remember the feeling that gave me watching it going, oh, like slow mo and really showing off the physicality again of, of Spider-Man. Yeah. I, I think I think my favorite thing is, and again, I'm a bigger fan of the Goblin mask of Defoe without the mask. I love that it cuts from that fight uh, when Spider-Man gets away to Willem Defoe in the lift. And he's just like out of off his tits. He's just like, <laughs> and one of his eyes isn't focused, and it's <laughs> sweating buckets because <laughs> he's been stood from in a that burning... short elevator, right? <laughs> he's been stood in a burning building for like two hours waiting for Spider-Man to swing past. But of course, it leads to that terrifying moment when, oh, Peter, your arm. And again, he's just—he's so smart. Like he looked, and he knows. Does Norman Osborn have a heightened sense of hearing? And now I only ask this because he hears the droplet of blood at the floor. He's walking out and he's like... <laughs> Bit of a slob, isn't he? Paint, paint-like paint blood has just dripped on the floor. And he like, Again, like obviously picks up and he's like... <sighs> I know in the comics I don't think that he's ever had a heightened sense of hearing. But apparently in the film, yeah, he can, he can. Maybe you know what? Maybe I'm being too harsh. Maybe if a droplet of blood fell onto my hardwood floor, uh, I would be like, uh, I would hear <laughs> it immediately. But you know, I I just don't think so. To be no, honest. no, me either. To be completely honest. Oh, <laughs> uh, we've again, we've already touched on this, but if, let's let's draw because we could talk about Green Goblin all day. So we have two last questions, and I'll get the funny one out of the way first. Favorite Green Goblin quote. Because there are so many. Uh, easily. Impressive! Which is quite a good Green Goblin. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know I had that impression in my, in my repertoire. See, uh, again, I've already done mine. I'm a, I'm a big fan of the... Out, am I? <laughs> oh, yeah, I, but he, 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 yeah, you're right. He has absolutely no shortage of, of one line. And see when see spider went up the water spout. Count down came the goblin... Push the spider out. I love when he's drugged Spider-Man. He goes sleep. <laughs> <laughs> he's so quotable. And there's that scene when they're on the roof and he's giving that monologue to Spider-Man. And I love that bit when, again, we're talking like the cruelty and the evil, the evilness of the character. He's trying to get this guy to be on his side, and he just smacks the back of his head. He's just yeah. like, all right, hero, slap on the back of the head. Um, but no, the, the big question I want to ask you is the death of the Green Goblin. Uh, I'm never a fan of... It, it was a real thing in the 2000s of killing your villains. And I know why they kill the Green Goblin because it means they can have ghostly, you know, Norman Osborn turning up to talk to Harry. <laughs> which is actually really quite frightening. Uh, but again, we'll talk on that more in Spider-Man 2. But I, I love that scene when a Godspeed, Spider-Man. Spider yeah. flies towards him. Spider-Man jumps out of the way and he kills himself. We tell, you know, the hubris of the Green Goblin brought to, you know, like he 
hoist by his own petard or stabbed by his own glider. I love that last line. Just don't tell Harry. Die. Yeah, because it, it, it brings him back to Norman, the Norman at the beginning of the movie, which I think is really, really, really important that you don't lose the fact that Green Goblin isn't Norman. Green Goblin is something inside Norman, mm. uh, which Norman is, as, as we see when he keeps on taking the mask off in his house, something he's continually battling and has overtaken him much in the way that um, Otto Octavius's tentacles take over him in, in Spider-Man 2. Um, and the it's, a really gu- it's a really gut-wrenching, pardon the pun, line. Well, especially um, because it dooms... It's the reason why we have Harry's storyline in Spider-Man 2 and 3. And although I'm a bit shaky on whether Harry Osborn was ever a particularly good friend to Peter, there's that... There's the, you know, the, the, the core concept of Spider-Man is that Peter's life is fucked over by being Spider-Man. And if he just said to Harry, your dad was the Green Goblin, yeah, like things would be so much easier for him, but he can't. And again... Like... I think at the end of Spider-Man, when he lays Norman down in the bed, um, dead, yep. and Harry comes in, I think as best friends, that would be the point in which Peter would make the decision, going, I'm going to tell Harry now. <laughs> but instead, instead he makes off, hightails it into the New York skies, and leaves Harry absolutely raging at Spider-Man, naturally. But of course, Peter Parker is the type of person who his mortal enemy would say to him, please don't tell Harry. And he does it. Yeah. Like, I respect the man he was, I guess. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's similar to the end of Amazing Spider-Man, not to talk about that too much, when... Well, um, you know what it really when reminded. Dad makes him promise not to be with Gwen. Not to promote another podcast, a rival podcast as it was, but I've been watching a lot of Nolan films recently, mm-hmm. and um, it reminded me of The Dark Knight. The, yeah. uh, the 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 choice to Batman could tell people that Harvey Dent killed those people, but he doesn't because no. that's not what a hero does, and he needs Harry needs the memory of his dad, like Gotham needs the memory of Harvey Dent. And I am yes, I am saying Christopher Nolan ripped off Sam Raimi. <laughs> come at me come at me Batman it's a, nerds. Big, it's a big claim it's a big claim for a, a general storytelling trope nope <laughs> but... definitely definitely the truth um, uh, again let's let, let, let's we could we could talk about Green Goblin all day and I have one other great piece of Green Goblin trivia before we finish because he's the best thing in the film unfortunately I think that this is a real victim of the hero it happened with Batman that the villain was always more interesting than perhaps the hero and I think the opposite is true in Spider-Man 2. As great as Octopus as Doc Ock is, I think that Spider-Man's storyline in that is a lot. There's a lot more meat to it beyond just "I am Spider-Man and I want to stop you." Um, but we can talk about that next week. I want what I want. This this last piece of trivia. Where did Norman get that mask from? Because there's a reason, and it was explained in apparently the director's commentary. I have no idea. Apparently. Norman is a collector of masks, and it is presumed that he just had that in his collection. <laughs> did he did he spray paint it to go through? like was it already green? What was the deciding factor in his green caution? Was did he have the green mask and go well? Did he need to paint this suit or like what? Oh, that's amazing! <laughs> what I love about that is as well, it's like he's a mask collector, but he's a collector of like tribal masks and Chinese what civilization not, what civilization is the green goblin mask yeah, tied he, to? he's not buying power ranger helmets is he and going like there's one for i the wonder shelf. if the i wonder if the mayans wore a green <laughs> goblin mask as they performed human sacrifices 
Uh, let's move on now to the extended cast. Who... I spoke about this a little bit in the introductory episode. I think I've dealt a little bit of a bum hand in this film. Uh, I, I, we'll, we'll start with who is obviously the biggest of them. And you know what? I'm just looking at my notes. I haven't even mentioned Aunt May. I think, to an extent, all the characters fall victim to this. They're plot devices. Uh, MJ, Harry, Aunt May, they exist not to be characters in the film, but as goals or sequel bait. Um, Aunt May, of course, exists because she's uh, Uncle Ben's widow, uh, and Peter can't tell her he's Spider-Man. It's a plot thing. Uh, MJ is a goal. He's so, it's something. She is something he wants. She's not a character in her own right. There's lip service to it with the abusive father, or at least implied abusive father, but nothing ever comes of that. We never see MJ outside of her you know, relationship with Spider-Man, or Peter Parker as it was. And also, Harry Osborn exists literally to fuel sequels. You know, he's... He's Harry, he's Peter's best mate, but he's there because we know we want him to be the Green Goblin two films down the line. The only character who isn't victim to that is the best supporting character in any Spider-Man film, J. Jonah Jameson. Yeah, easily. easily like he's, he is without a doubt the best uh, supporting character. Arguably the best character in, in the Spider-Man, Sam Raimi Spider-Man trilogy. He is a constant. He is absolutely perfect casting. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's that's completely why they brought him back for Far From Home. To yeah. to throw back the curtain on our on our day jobs a little bit, I saw Far From Home two months... No, sorry, a month before general release um, because of work, and I was sworn to secrecy that J. Jonah Jameson was returning. And I literally, when he appeared... So what they do at press screenings is occasionally they'll say there's a, there's a post screen and you should stay for it. They were like, you cannot leave your seat until the credits have ended mm-hmm. in Spider-Man Far From Home because they were yeah. so keen for us all to see the return of J. Jonah Jameson. I, I love him. Like I, I, you know, I'm an editor for work and I'd be lying if I didn't say that J. Jonah Jameson isn't the editor I want to be. Crap, crap, super crap. Like, it's yeah, just... I mean, you you have literally messaged me at work again, throwing back the curtain. Tom and I do work together at work um, <laughs> for um, for a popular lad based publication. <laughs> <laughs> um, you have messaged me. I just want pictures of Spider Man. <laughs> um, so, but yeah, his influence as J. Jonah Jameson. Um, as I mean, there's a reason no other actor has played him across any other Spider Man movies because. No one can touch that. No, no one could even get close to rivaling J.K. Simmons. What I, what I really like about the character is as well, because he's he's not in the film that much, probably like 10 minutes, maybe even then I'm being generous. We get to know him so well. He's a blowhard, he's a, he's a bit of a dick, but he's got a heart of gold because there's that scene when the Green Goblin attacks and he's like... Who takes the pictures of Spider-Man? And we're always going to do a Green Goblin impression yep. whenever we get the opportunity. Uh, who takes the pictures of Spider-Man? And he just says, Peter sat in front of him and the presumption is this absolute lickspittle coward will immediately be like, oh, it's him. But no, he's a freelancer. He sends them in. I've never met the guy. And yeah. I love that because it tells you so much about Jameson that, yeah, he's a scumbag, but he's not evil. Like, there's, there's no, like... he's not evil. He's just uh, overly pragmatic, um, cantankerous grump. 
and his office. And it's like, freelance, freelance. <laughs> and he's like, um, what, what, what did he say? Like, get you some meat. Like Christmas meat or something <laughs> ridiculous like that. Um, yeah, no, no, I, 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 he, he sets far atop uh, the supporting cast in Spider-Man movies. Uh, funny enough, when you mentioned you hadn't really written anything to do with Aunt May, I've written one note, and it's just best Aunt May because I think she is the best Aunt May. Um, I like Marissa Tomei's Aunt May and the MCU. I just prefer Aunt May as an older presence that fills a gap that Uncle Ben leaves, especially in Sam Raimi's movies. Um, and Sally Field, is, again, similarly to Mar- uh, Martin Sheen, is completely wasted in the Amazing Spider-Man movies. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I, get, I just have to agree with you. Um, Sally Field's is Aunt May is clearly the best, especially on a rewatch. I, I, the, I haven't seen the original Spider-Man films in quite some time and I was re-watching them and I was like oh I totally get why you can't tell her she's Spider-Man he, he, like, yeah. like, you could tell Sally Fields and she'd be like oh okay and we know Marissa Tomei finds out and she's quite supportive yeah. of it uh, I just I really enjoy there's a character in Peter's life who is such a weakness and we, we see that when the Green Goblin attacks her and she's a real vulnerability but she's just so sweet and loving and I'd argue she does know that Peter is Spider-Man in Spider-Man 2 but I, I just love I, I love how clueless she is in this one like that, yeah I mean that... in Spider-Man 2 her role becomes uh, she has much meatier dialogue to chew yeah. on and yeah I, I, we, we will talk about it um, when we go into Spider-Man 2 but I but, do believe she knows going into Spider-Man 2 and 3 um, uh, I think there's just a really great line of dialogue from her when she says to Peter Peter says I really missed him today and she's talk, he's talking about Uncle Ben and she just mm-hmm. says I missed him too you know it's just really tugs at the heartstrings doesn't it That's, yeah. and I don't think I th- to, to go all the way back to Cliff Robertson I don't think it's I think it's because every other film has struggled to make that Uncle Ben character work I think that's Which is partly... so strange because I, I, in my head, I don't view that as a difficult thing to do. But it may, honestly, it may just be because Sam Raimi has got the timing, the pacing, and the writing of Uncle Ben so down to a T that any other effort to replicate it, like an Amazing Spider-Man, just doesn't feel right. Um, it's not, it's not welcome because it... it's, it's trying to do something we've already seen done almost perfectly. And it's interesting because the big betrayal in spider-man is michelangelo doesn't turn up to paint the kitchen it's genuinely the big divisive moment in spider-man in amazing spider-man peter doesn't walk aunt may home from work uh or something like that i can't like i've not seen it in a while and i've not rewatched it yet well peter goes to the shop and then and and amazing spider-man he he goes out in a rampage because he slams the door and he already has his powers at this point he literally smashes it to bits and uh, martin sheen goes out looking for peter and then he gets he gets shot in the street it's just it's way too contrived there's just something really nice in that parental disappointment that you said you'd do something something minor and you didn't do it and the veggie meatloaf and veggies are still in the oven do you know what i mean like it's very... What is that? It's that I'm not angry. I'm just disappointed. That yeah. is what that note pretty much feels like when you read it. It's like, oh, god damn it, Peter, you should have been there. Um, yeah. But yeah, I, I, again, I, I do like this Aunt May, and I think that she she benefits from Spider Man Two a lot. Like Spider Man Two is what makes that character so memorable because 
she's not got a lot to do in this except cower from the green goblin and be afraid for no, peter there's there's the scene when she find, when uh, the actress rosemary harris uh, she she finds out uncle ben has been killed and it's just it's pretty much silent apart from the music and you just see her like collapsing into yeah. into peter's arms which as we've touched on the whole uncle ben stuff is very sad but yeah she doesn't have a, a tremendous amount elsewhere to do in the movie let's talk a little about mj the the love interest uh I feel I feel weird talking about MJ because MJ is my of the Spider Women, Black Cat, Gwen Stacy, and MJ. MJ is my is the one that I think Peter's soulmate is mm-hmm. truly, and I really like Kirsten Dunst and I like the bare bones of MJ in this. The idea that she aspires to escape this life in Queens. You know, she's an aspirational character and she's she's struggling. I just don't think, and maybe it's because it was the early 2000s and society wasn't at a point where we made love interests into fully realized characters. Mm-hmm. I just feel she's, she is just presented as a goal for Peter. Like, it's like so many things. There are obstacles he has to overcome and he wants MJ. And it's maybe mitigated a little by the end when he turns her down. But yeah. again, that feels like Spider-Man is the obstacle then, and I still want this thing who just happens to be a living, breathing woman who I've known for years. Uh, it's How do you feel about it? Am I, am, am I being harsh? No, I don't, I don't think you're being particularly harsh, and it hurts for me to say that because <sighs> Tobey Maguire and Kirsten Dunst's chemistry in this movie is something that I romanticize in my head um having watched the movies when i was younger but it's not that great to be no. honest uh especially in the shadow of andrew garfield and emma stone which i know is gwen stacy not um not mj but the the chemistry between kirsten dunst and tom mcguire is just nowhere near on the same level and it is still sweet uh they're com- like conversations in the back garden when uh toby mcguire um is finally talking to, to MJ properly or when he like catches her and all the things on the on the dinner plate and he's just like awkwardly smiling um and of course the, the, the last closing scene which I'm sure we're going to talk about shortly um but it's she's just but she is just not very well written no. and um that that is the crux of it I don't think Kirsten Dunst is particularly bad in the movie it's like you said she is a goal for Peter um she is su- just something in Peter's background that keeps on coming to the fore she, um, that he wants she exists to be in set pieces around peter the the kiss for example you know the upside down kiss um the, the the funeral scene the the you know the breakup at graduation even the origin she she's not there doing her own thing she she orbits peter and i know the- she's supporting cast so of course she does but you look at the way i mean it's 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 slightly unfair, but I couldn't tell you outside of her job, theatre or waitress, what Mary Jane's interests are. Like, no. do you know what I mean? Like, she's not a character. Like, if if you if you compare them to someone like Gwen Stacy in ASM, and I'm happy we can finally give ASM some praise. She's a, yeah. she's smart like Peter. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and and that's partly informed by her job, but also. 
you know, we know from the second film she wants to go to, you know, she's going to Oxford because she's worked at Oscorp and she's done this and she's done that. And she loves her family. She's like, she has a really close relationship with her dad. And there's all this. Whereas in Spider-Man 2000, to, so 2002, MJ has a bad home life and wants to be an actress. Yeah. And, and, it's, and it, it's very telling that the most memorable aspects of MJ are the moments when she is a damsel in distress. Yeah. Like, like, well, the Upside Down Kiss is obviously one of the most iconic pieces of superhero movie imagery ever. Mm. Um, been spoofed and and um, ripped off by lots of other people since then. And when she's falling through the air and Spider-Man's lenses screaming after Green Goblin drops, um, she's very good in those scenes. I, I believe she's in peril. So again, it's really not a criticism of Kirsten Dunst particularly. It's more, it's more just the writing of her. Like, like you said, she's just not, she's just not there as a fully formed character no. at all. And part of it is, and I don't want to use this as an excuse, but part of it is that we weren't there in two thousand two. Like we, we, things weren't. It like, wasn't. It just wasn't. It wasn't a priority. And that obviously, I'm not. I'm not saying that as a. Uh, of course, nor should it be. I'm. That's, that's not what I'm, what no. I'm trying to get. At. Like it's, it was, even though it was still at the turn of the millennium. It was an older time, and um, and it's not really a huge criticism of Sam Raimi because he wanted to just make clearly a fully fledged Spider Man movie, not too big picture. He wanted to make it all about Spider Man. Mm. Uh, however, uh, it, it is very telling that the main important crucial female character in the um, protagonist's life doesn't have much substance. No. Let's move on now to Harry who, again, I think we've probably touched on enough throughout this. I think he's a dickhead. I really don't like Harry Osborn. No, I don't like Harry Osborn either. I think I think he is an arsehole um, dressed up as a best friend. Uh, he- I think he really resents Peter for his intelligence, uh, especially the sort of father-like friendship he Peter develops with uh, his dad. Yep. Um, yeah, no, I don't like him in this at Do, all. I'm not a big fan of James Franco's performance as Harry throughout the movies, to be honest. No, um, it, it gets worse. That's the thing. Uh, yeah. And you can, if you were charitable, you might say, well, that's Harry's degradation. You know, like he's he's falling into mania like his father. I just, I just, I, I don't really like James Franco. There, I've said it. I don't like his, his, his Harry Osborn. The only credit I'll give it is that it's better than Dane DeHaan, who turns up as Peter's best friend halfway through Amazing Spider-Man 2. Literally, yeah, he's, better, the, he's, be, he's better than Dean DeHaan. Yeah. Uh, Dean DeHaan is not, not a good Harry Osborn. I, and I think it's telling that the MCU haven't touched on the Osborns. And maybe I should have brought this up when we are discussing Green Goblin. But it's interesting that Norm, no one's done... Well, we have done Norman since. But shit. Yeah. And the MCU hasn't touched on the Osborns. And I wonder if that's partly because... Norman, played by Chris Cooper in Amazing Spider-Man. Yes, yeah. as you know yeah. from our many Zoom quizzes. That... Yeah. <laughs> just wanted to in- invoke that piece of trivia like it was something I already knew. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, let's move on now to Sam Raimi, who directed yeah. this. Uh, it's, we'll, we'll stay very brief on this because obviously, I think when we finish on Spider-Man 3, because I don't want that to be a complete slag off. No, we can, do, we can do like a large overview of Sam yeah, Raimi's impact of the, of on the, the trilogy. Three. But I think that uh, the, the big question that I have to ask is, does this feel like a Sam Raimi film to you? Because I can yes. give, yeah, I, I exactly. I'm with you there. Um, I think that 
like we mentioned before, the CGI transformation with the skulls, just bizarre. Mm-hmm. And um, the spider bite, the voices in the ma- in the uh, Osborne mansion, it's all evil dead to me. Yeah, it's, it's hammy, it's cheesy, it's a little bit corny, but it's still entertaining. It's not off-puttingly in either of those previous adjectives. And it's... Um, and yet, you can tell he is stamped all over it, all over it. I, I can feel Sam Raimi's presence um, through the movie. Um, I mean, that it's even more present in Spider-Man 2, I would argue, but we'll get to that when we speak about Spider-Man 2. Um, yes, there's a real optimism to it, and I think Sam Raimi's very good at that. But he's, I think, yeah. so, it, it, so, so Sam Raimi, much like Willem Dafoe, wanted to do this it was something that he set out i i want there was a there was a number of other actors uh directors considered see i was going to ask you about this did you did you who who have you got on your list because i've got some on mine okay i've got well obviously the, the story of spider-man being produced james cameron was long going to direct a spider-man movie yeah. which was not then pursued but for this specific spider-man movie when they were searching for a director uh i've got roland emmerich Okay, I've got, Tony, I... I've got Tony Scott. Okay. Um, I've got Chris Columbus, M. Night Shyamalan. Right. And David Fincher. See, Fincher is who I've got, right? Because Fincher apparently wanted to do The Death of Gwen Stacy, which would be yep. The Amazing Spider-Man 2 eventually. Yeah. I don't, I I... I don't want to live in a Sam Raimi-less Spider-Man world. But I will also want to visit the dimension where David Fincher made a Spider-Man film. I w- yeah, I would love to watch a David Fincher Spider-Man movie, especially one con- concerning the death of Gwen Stacy. Yeah. I think that would be absolutely horrible. But you you know how we do it. It wouldn't be from the perspective of Spider-Man. It would be the police investigating the death of Gwen Stacy, and Spider-Man would be a character within the background of this world. And the mystery the would be to seven. We didn't know we needed. To... <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's I see. Uh, there's a there's a few names on there that make sense to me. M Night Shyamalan. The only reason I can think of that was the heat he had after the Sixth Sense and Signs and things like that. That. Well, obviously, M. M. Night Shyamalan's done a superhero movie with Unbreakable, so I can see him doing a sort of, um, sort of, uh, there's a word I'm looking for, like, sort of tuned back uh, version of Spider-Man. But again, um, I, I, th- I don't think, because we've seen what stripped back superhero stripped movies... Stripped back, that's the word that I cannot find, <laughs> yes. We've seen what stripped back superhero movies look like. Um, there are certain characters it work for, works for. Batman, for example. Batman is ultimately a ninja. Really, yeah. you know, let's let's not go, let's not split hairs. Batman is a ninja, and that's that. You can't strip back some of these fantastical characters because, and you know, this isn't surfing through Snyder, so we're not going to get into this. But we've seen what happens when you try and make fantastical characters more grounded with Man of Steel, and although we have very different opinions on that, I would much rather watch a fantastical, energetic zany version of spider-man than a grounded realistic gritty take which i'd argue is what they were almost going for in amazing spider-man as well actually yeah i would agree with that i would not trade sam raimi spider-man to see what we would have uh, had with a david fincher spider-man i would quite like to see a david fincher spider-man now just out of pure curiosity but if i had to choose um sam raimi spider-man trilogy remains yeah beyond beyond them all um 
I think yeah. I've, I, I, before we finish on this, I do want to mention the James Cameron Spider-Man film. Do you know who the villain would have been? It's not going to be Doctor Octopus. It wasn't. Who was going to play him? I believe it's Arnold Schwarzenegger. It was Arnold Schwarzenegger. And what was his catchphrase going to be? <laughs> please, please go ahead. Okie dokie then. <laughs> oh, oh, man. And yeah, I mean, but we, we have discussed this before. Obviously, Leonardo DiCaprio was a big, a big name in the mix for Spider-Man and Edward Furlong, obviously, after Terminator 2. Yeah, um, I, I believe that... was an initial choice. Do you know who um, Sam, um, Stan Lee, Stan the man himself, his choice was to play Spider-Man? No. Uh, it was John Cusack. Oh. Yeah. Uh, oh, I no. didn't hate that. <laughs> I didn't hate that, but I don't. John Cusack, he's got a very, very specific uh, vibe yep. and personality, and I'm just trying to gel that with who I expect in Spider-Man. John Cusack is quite cool, and I would, I would fear that he would end up being a slight Andrew Garfield-esque sort of. Too cool for school. Spider-Man. Yeah, I'm supposed to believe this guy would be bullied when everyone fucking loves John Cusack because <laughs> he's like a cool teenager. Um, and oh, funny enough, with the original script for this um, Spider-Man movie, which was extensively rewritten by um, David Coop, Coop, uh, um, Doctor Octopus was originally going to be in, in the was, movie yeah. as well. Um, but Sam Raimi and David Cope uh, believed it would clutter up the script, um, so they removed them and streamlined it, which is absolutely heinous considering what happened in Spider-Man three years it, later. It, again, it's really interesting, isn't it? You'd expect Raimi's influence to grow with the studio because this is the first. This was the first film in the history of cinema, comp- not adjusted for inflation. In fact, even adjusting for inflation, to earn a hundred million dollars in a, its opening weekend, and yeah. you'd expect that his like like what happened with Nolan? Nolan makes Batman Begins. It's a mo- you know it's a medi- it's a medium sized hit. Batman Begins, but it gives the studio the faith to let him do what he wants to do with Dark Knight and Dark Knight Rises. It's interesting that the inverse happened with Raimi. Spider Man One and Two were huge hits, and then there's massive studio interference on the third one. And yeah, I don't understand it at all. I mean, it's oh, so interesting when you say that figure. First film. To make a hundred million in its open weekend, then you go eighteen years later, and Endgame does a billion I in know. its opening. That's ridiculous. Uh, right, God. okay. We are. I'm very aware of time, and we've been talking now for over an hour. Um, so I'm going to finish with two questions for you. Um, what was your favourite thing about the film? My favourite thing about the film, if I'm being very specific, is actually the closing two minutes. The um, the funeral scene. The, the funeral scene which goes into Spider-Man soaring through the skies mm. to Danny Elfman's score, which is, by the way, easily the best Spider-Man related composition there ever has been and probably ever will be. Yeah, um, I'd agree. Danny, Elf- Danny Elfman's theme for Spider-Man captures the sort of epic grandeur and comic book um, innocence, I would say, which sounds really wanky now that I've actually said that out loud from a notepad. <laughs> but um, it's true. I, 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 it it captures it. It still gives me goosebumps every time I hear it, and especially that closing scene, um, when it's clear MJ realizes that's we kissed, that's we kissed him, and he is swinging through the sky. And Sam Raimi described the swinging, what he wanted the swinging to be as ballet in the sky, 
and that is what that last two minutes is it's yeah. complete completely what everyone who goes to see spider-man wants to see is an absolute admiration for how spider-man moves through the air it's interesting isn't it that considering how old this film is now 18 years old how good that's that's final swinging scene still looks i mean they spent 30 had a budget of uh i think a hundred million dollars or something and Mm -hmm. they spent 30 million on just getting the swinging right yeah and it it shows it still looks great even now uh if i had to if i had to say my favorite moment I do. Pro- I'd probably say it's the the birth of the Green Goblin, which I think was what it was called on the DVD menu, uh, if I remember rightly. Something along yeah. those lines, anyway. Like you said before, I think it really plays to Sam Raimi's strengths. There's the horror element to it. Nos- oh, Nosborn? Who's that? Osborn no- flatlines. <laughs> Nosborn. <laughs> Nosborn. Short shorthand for Norman Osborn. Yeah. <laughs> Osborn flatlines. He comes back and he throws it. It's, it's really quite scary, especially because it just cuts away, and we see Os- we see Norman the next day, and he's just asleep on the floor of the mansion. Mm-hmm. Um, as for the next question, your least favorite thing in the film? My least favorite thing in the film is <sighs> oh, least favorite thing in the film. I can well, do really mine. Di- yeah, can... please do yours. Um, so. I think that the final bridge scene is fantastic. Uh, I think it's one of the third acts of superhero films are notoriously difficult to get right because ultimately mm-hmm. it's essentially a punch up. I love the sadistic choice. I hate the New Yorkers. You mess with one of us. You mess with all of us. I know why it's there. It was post 9-11 and I'm very impressed that none of us, we didn't talk about the trailer at any point during this. And New York was a very different place in 2002 than it perhaps is in 2020. But it's just not aged very well. That idea of Americans all bandying together for this freak who can spin webs. It just, it really sticks in my crawler as this weird patriotism. Uh, And I, I do not like it. I find it awkward and it doesn't fit the rest of the film, which is very odd and very strange. This soppy patriotism that comes out of nowhere. I have definitely found my least favourite moment. By one moment, I've written down a notepad in capital letters. <laughs> Bully who inexplicably bites the other end of a jam donut that has already been bitten. <laughs> <laughs> How wonderfully specific. The, op- the opening scene when he's running along the bus and it obviously soars past MJ and Flash and then there's the guy eating the jam donut and you see the outside of the jam donut and he eats the bottom <laughs> end just so you can see the jam. Fall it's, out of it. That is no way to eat a jam donut. It's the guy, isn't it, when it goes, hell, I'd even take him. <laughs> yeah. No, you're right. This this donut lunatic does not deserve to be in a Spider-Man film. I, I would agree with you, though, on, on The New Yorkers. does feel... Um, saccharine, I suppose. It's, it's just... It's like... Uh, I, I get it. Yeah. I get it. You didn't even need to say anything. See if they just started throwing stuff at Green Goblin. I'd be like, okay... The, the people love Spider-Man after all the newspaper headlines, but it's, it's that, you mess with one of us, you mess with all of us. It's like, no. It, it, it gets worse throughout Spider-Man. As a, like, we have that, then we have in Spider-Man 3, him running along the big American flag. I can't yep. remember in it, uh, any of it. I suppose in Spider-Man 2, there's arguably the bit on the train, but that feels more earned. 
because he's literally no it feels more erudited uh, yeah no that it's much more well written which we don't need to get into yeah. that because we will talk extensively about the train scene. I'm and sure. it finally sure. ends, it, it, I mean, it comes to a head in Amazing Spider-Man when the cranes start turning and I'm just oh. like, no, no. <laughs> right, okay, I do have one last question and I, I prepped you on these favourite and least favourite things so you'd have some idea, but I didn't prep you on this one. Um, someone told me that love would save us all, but how can that be? Look what love gave us. A world full of killing and blood spilling. That world never came. That's Nickelback to play us out. Oh, I really wondered what what mood you are Hold on to the wings of the eagles. Watch as we go fly away. another episode of Swinging Through Spider-Man has come to an end. If you enjoyed listening to Tom and I chat about your friendly neighbourhood Spider-Man, please like and subscribe and follow us on Twitter too. Remember, with great power comes great responsibility.